Hey everybody, we're so thrilled that you're here with us this weekend. As you've already heard, next weekend we're kicking off our One Life campaign. And when I started, uh, a lot of staff members said to me, Saddleback is a campaign church. Is that true? Is this a campaign church? I think so. Well, it's been five years since we've done a campaign. And that means like we have huge opportunity right now. There are a lot of us who are not currently serving, we're not hosting small groups. Last week when we had people stand up in the middle of the service and we celebrated the hosts, it was awesome. So if you're hosting a group, that's great. But what I saw when I looked around the room, there's a lot of opportunity for more people to participate. And so this One Life campaign is going to be incredible. God's going to use it in a powerful way in our church. The big vision is that God's given you one life. He's given me one life. And he wants us to use our one life to make a difference. And there are people all around us, friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, people in our life who have never encountered the love of Jesus. And imagine if every follower of Jesus on planet Earth were to love, to share their faith, to share what God's done in their life with one other life. Now, I think for a lot of us, when it comes to sharing what Jesus has done in our life, there are a lot of things that go through our mind. And perhaps some of what goes through your mind are the people that are weird when they share their faith in Jesus. Uh, in fact, I'll say it like this. Uh, there, there's this coffee place, not coffee, ice cream place in Disney, and it's called Salt and Straw. Anybody ever been there before? Amazing ice cream. So they had this chocolate hazelnut vegan ice cream. And I'm not a vegan, by the way, but I eat vegan ice cream because I have dairy issues. And so I love this ice cream, but when COVID happened, they took the ice cream off the menu. And I'm like, where's the vegan ice cream? Where am I going with all this? I love that ice cream so much, I told everybody I knew about it. And perhaps you know somebody like that with their faith in Jesus, like they're telling everybody and they're a little bit weird, they're a little bit awkward. And you sometimes might write yourself off to say, I don't wanna be that guy, I don't wanna be that person. So this series is gonna be, how do you share Jesus in a relatable way with the people in your life. All of our groups are gonna focus on it. Our different ministries are gonna be focused. It's just gonna be an incredible time for us. And then on top of that, next weekend, we are celebrating our 43rd birthday as a church. So we're excited about that. And so we wanna encourage you, be back as we kick off that series. Now, today we're wrapping up our better series. This has been a great five weeks. We've been looking at the idea that so often when it comes to our lives and our journey spiritually, we set these lofty goals. We move into the new year, we're gonna lose all the weight, we're gonna make the money, we're gonna get the job promotion, and then come like early February, Valentine's Day comes, the chocolate's there, it's like, okay, that goal really wasn't that important. And what can happen is this idealized version or perfection in our mind can discourage us and we never take the kind of steps that God wants us to take. So the big idea of the series has been better is better. And we've looked at five areas or four areas. I want you to see where we've been in this series. Uh, we've looked at these four areas so far. We talked in the first week about vision and how vision drives so much of what we do with our lives, a picture of where God wants our lives to go. We talked in the second week about habits, that we need better habits to sustain vision, that if we don't change our habits, we go back to the same place that we started. And then in the third week, Stacy did a message on mindsets, and she talked about how we think and really understanding God's perspective for our lives. Last week, we talked about priorities. And then this week, 
we're slated to talk about decisions. In fact, on Monday, I wrote my message, and I was really excited, and I felt like I had a good word. But then on Tuesday, I woke up, and this happens to me a couple times a year. God gave me an entirely new message for this weekend. And so that decisions message, if you're like the fill-in-the-blank hero, and you got to get all your blanks, don't you worry. We're actually going to record that decisions message on our Doable Discipleship podcast, so you can listen to it this week. If you want to get that information, you're like, I need better decisions, that'll be there. But today I want to talk about a subject that God put on my heart for you and for our church. And the reason why this message is so important is because if we get all the other stuff right, if we have better habits, better vision, better perspective, better priorities, but we don't get this one area right, we miss everything. And today I want to talk about how do we have a better relationship with God? You were designed and created by God for a relationship with him. There's nothing on planet Earth that matters more than your heart being connected to your creator. And no matter what your background is spiritually, no matter what religion you grew up in, no matter what you brought to church with you today, or those of you who are joining us online, what you are going through in this moment, you were created by God for God. The God of the universe loves you so much. And the thing that he wants for you more than anything else is relationship with himself. And here at Saddleback, we have people at all different places in their journey spiritually. Some of you who are followers of Jesus, you already have a relationship with God, but there's something about that relationship over time that has started to wane. Stacy and I, we met each other when we were 17 and 18 years old. I was 18, she was 17. I thought you might want to see some early pictures here of us when we were in college. This is our freshman year of college. Uh, people said to me when I came to Saddleback, you're the young guy here. And when, where we left from, we were, we were the old people at the church we were a part of there in the Bay Area. Um, but this is, this is young right here. This is us really young, like 19, 18 years old. And I remember when I met Stacy. So I met her freshman year of college. Um, I actually started hanging out with her because I liked her roommate first. And her roommate was a cheerleader. And so I went out for the cheerleading team. And right after I went out for the cheerleading team, her, true story, her roommate broke her ankles. And so I was there stuck on the cheerleading team. And I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that I was a cheerleader. Really not the highlight of my background. Actually, I knew cheerleading was not the sport for me when we had a practice where we sat around and talked about how we felt about one another. It's just like... If you're a cheerleader, a male cheerleader, God bless you, but it's just not for me. Now, the point I'm making with all this was very quickly into my freshman year of college, Stacy and I, we started spending time together, and the thing that we shared more than anything else was a common heart for God and a desire for God to use our lives. And within a few months, I was head over heels in love with her, like everywhere I went, I was looking for her on campus. I could see her curly hair from hundreds of yards away. I was constantly looking for her if I was walking campus. And if she would go to the library and invite me to come to the library and study, I never studied, but I would go to the library just to be with her. I'd open a book and just you know, stare at her, a little creepy. But, um, but I was in love. And if you've been in love before, you know how love can be consuming. It consumes your heart. 
And one of the words that's used to describe love is that love is like a fire that burns inside of our hearts. And what can happen, you know, love changes over the course of time. Of course, when you're young, you have all the emotions, and the more that you're committed, love is deep. The Bible calls it an agape form of love, so that romantic love may wane. But it's true that so often in any relationship, the fire can start to go out. The, st- the fire can start to wane. And one of the words that the Bible would use to describe love for God is like a fire. Jeremiah in the Old Testament would say that his fire burns within my bones, that deep in my bones I cannot keep my mouth closed. It's like a fire within. In Luke, when Jesus would show up after his resurrection to some of the early followers, the scripture says that after that moment, they looked at each other and said, when he was with us, did our hearts not burn within us? So there's this fire that God wants to put inside of our hearts. It's a love. It's an adoration for him where he becomes the thing that consumes our lives. And I want to talk about that fire today because if we're honest, some of us, when it comes to our heart and longing for God, at one point we had a fire that was burning deep inside. But if we're honest, there's like these ashes that are smoldering inside, but there's not that that fire that is burning from deep within. Now, if you work for OSHA, just to clarify, this is not a real fire. I so badly wanted to have a real fire on stage, but they told me no. But doesn't this look awesome? It looks real. It looks amazing. But I want to talk about this fire because that fire deep inside of your heart, a longing for God, I believe he wants to rekindle it today, to renew inside of you a passion for God. So consider this a message that's about firing you up for what matters most. We're going to look today at Psalm 63, and I want to give you four logs for the fire of your heart, your love for God. And I want, before we go there, actually to read these verses, Revelation 2, 2 through 4, um, Jesus is speaking to a church. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. You've not grown weary. So you've done all these things. He says, but yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your love that you had at first. And then he challenges them. He says, repent and turn back and get that first love back. Come to me and let me kindle that fire deep inside of your heart. God wants to kindle that fire, that hunger for him in our souls. Psalm 63, verse 1. This is what we're going to look at today. I love this psalm. It's King David before he was king in the Old Testament. And he's writing from the wilderness. So he's on the run. Saul, the current king, is after King David. And what he wants to do, he wants to take him out. And the reason Saul wants to take out David is because he's jealous of him. And David is in the wilderness not knowing if his life is going to be over very soon. He's already been anointed by Samuel as the next king of the nation of Israel. And he starts to cry out to God in the wilderness. And I want you to hear his words. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And I want you to feel the urgency that's coming from within David. And notice, if you will, those words that he says, God, you are my God. If you have your notes, I want you to circle that phrase when he says, you are my God. 
It's a personal calling out to God. It's not your parents' God, students. It's not your spouse's God or your roommate's God. The hunger, the thirst that David is talking about is from within him to know God, to love God, to seek God with all that he is in the wilderness, in a dry and weary land. He can remember what it was like to be with God, but right now in this moment, the thing he wants more than anything else is to to be with God and to encounter him and experience him. Oh God, you are my God. And notice in him both the personal nature, but also the reverence for God. So sometimes people say things like, yeah, God's my buddy, he's my bro, Jesus is my man. Yeah, that's cool, bro, he's my dude. And he's, he's not, he's God. He loves you, he wants to be your friend, but he's not your bro, he's not my bro. He's the God of the universe who created us. Just like Jesus said, when we pray, he taught his disciples to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's father, there's a personal nature to the relationship, but there's reverence and adoration. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land. And if you've ever been thirsty, you know what this is like. You've been thirsty before, right? I have some issues with thirst, by the way. If I were to be assessed by a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I would be on the DSM-5 for multiple things. Um, one being obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I have not officially been diagnosed, but I have some issues. And this is not to make light of OCD, by the way. Uh, but one of my categories of OCD is water. Like I have this fear of being dehydrated. So I always have to have bottles of water with me wherever I go. In fact, if you look where I sit in the service, if you come up front, you'll see there's like eight water bottles there. It's just, for, just in case. And I also have another fear that plays into my fear of dehydration, and it's my fear of not being able to find a restroom. So it's like they, they're constantly at war with one another. And this, this sense of like when you get dehydrated, your mouth is dry. And right now our, our house is under construction and yesterday was the day where they sanded everything, and I just had that, that taste in my mouth all day long. I couldn't get rid of it. And David is, David is actually saying from the wilderness, I, I feel from within this emptiness, this dryness in my soul, and maybe that's you today. There's a dryness, there's a barrenness in your soul. And I wanna talk about the first log. The first log is the log of devotion. We're gonna talk about these four logs. The log of devotion is a log that says, I will pursue God with my whole heart. I will, not, I'm, I will not put anything else above God. God does not want second place, third place, fourth place, fifth, any other place in our hearts. God wants first place. He wants to be loved above anything else in our hearts. He wants to be the ambition of our soul. He wants to be first place, and there's something that happens in our hearts when we get back to center to say, my devotion to God is above anything else in my life. There's nothing that matters more than God. And so often when it comes to 
our relationship with God and our pursuit of God, so many things get between us and God. Relationships can get between us and God. Friendship can get between us and God. Jobs, even church can get between us and God. And there's nothing that should stand between us and our pursuit of God to worship him, to love him, to pursue him. The good things in our life, when they start to to take place of God, they become oftentimes, it can start as something that we give our attention to, but over time the Bible calls it idolatry. That anything that stands between us and God and gets our primary affection and adoration, that is idolatry at its core. And what God wants is first place. It's kind of like I was at the pool this last summer and I wasn't judging I was observing some parents and their behavior and they had their phones out and they had this little baby in a little raft and the baby was floating and mom and dad both had their phones and they were like snapping shots and they they kept trying to get like the perfect shot, you know, right filter, right angle. And then they're like trying to get the baby to smile. It's like 10 minutes of this to get the perfect Insta shot from the pool. It was wonderful. And I just thought, how many kids are growing up and that's their image. It's like a birthday, first birthday. You ever been at a birthday party and you've seen this? It's like a little baby, everybody's singing happy birthday, but really it's the phone that is saying happy birthday. You know, it's like parents, friends, family, phone right in front of the kid that's surrounded by 50 phones and happy birthday beyond it. And I wonder how often in our relationship with God that there are things that are good things like that, a phone that stands between us and God. And the enemy of devotion is distraction. The enemy of devotion is anything that gets my primary attention before God, that is the focus of my life. So what I want with this log of devotion is to come back and ask the question, Am I seeking God first place? Am I seeking him above anything else? Does he have my greatest affection? Does he have my attention? Does he have my ears and my eyes fixed on him as first place in my life? Jeremiah 29 verse 13, this verse is so important. It won't be in your notes, but I want to encourage you, write this down and go back to it. Jeremiah is speaking and he says, you will find me, you will seek me, and you will find me, God speaking through the prophet, when you seek me with your whole heart. Some of us are trying to discover God and understand truth, but we're doing it with half of our heart. And God is saying, I want your whole heart. And part of the reason why this fire is dying out is because you're only pursuing me with one-fourth or one-half of who you are, and I want all of who you are. Psalm 63, verse 2, David comes back and he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power and your glory. So I have gazed upon your beauty. And he's remembering in his soul, remembering in his mind when he was in the temple, when he was there in the manifest presence of God and what it was like to be with God and encounter him and experience him and he's longing for more of God. And I wonder for some of us, we kind of want God, we kind of want this spirituality about our lives, but we really, really, if we're honest with ourselves, we we really don't want it above our job promotion or we don't want it more than we want more money or we don't want it more than we want physical fitness and we want things more than we want God so we don't experience the fullness of what God has for our lives. If I were to say to you, your physical health is on the line, and some of you, you've been there before, and you're, you're like, you found out you have disease or cancer, and the doctor says you need to do everything 
You need to do whatever it takes to get your health back and you drop everything. Or maybe somebody said that to you, you went to a counselor and your marriage was struggling and they said to you, you gotta do everything it takes, anything, to get your marriage back. But the most important part of who you are, the most significant purpose of your life is to know God. And if your relationship with God is struggling, if it's on the rocks, if your relationship with God is not right, nothing in your life is right. And if your relationship with God is flourishing, you can walk through the worst of circumstances but still have peace in your heart because you are right with God. It's devotion. That's the first log that we want to put back on the fire to see the fire burn bright. Now there's another log that I want to highlight that David uh, gives us a clue towards, and it's the log of delight. And this log is a log that says, I will enjoy the presence of God. I will enjoy God's presence with my life. I will do things relationally. I will spend time. I will enjoy the presence of God. We have this orange tree at my house in the backyard, and I've never had the kind of trees. We, we have a lemon tree, and I walked out one day, and my sons had lacrosse sticks and lemons in the lacrosse sticks, and they're like chucking the lemons like into the canyon behind our house. It was awesome. I'm like, golly, what are you guys? That's great. Let's do it together. So um, actually, I didn't do that, but I thought about it. I was like, That's, that makes sense for a teenager. Um, not an adult, though, or a pastor or, you know, somebody with my maturity level. So, but the orange tree, where I was going with this, the orange tree, so the, the oranges are like perfect right now. So I went out last weekend and I pulled about six oranges off the tree and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to eat one of these oranges and I cut it open. You ever had like a perfect orange and cut it open and you, it just like mm, melts in your mouth? And you think about the creation of God, that God saw it, saw it so fitting to make this fruit that would go inside the human mouth and the taste buds that are there. Can you just feel it right now? It's like you taste it. Mm. And what David says, listen to David's words. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And there's a delight in his soul. Because your love is better than life. And perhaps you've never encountered the love of God in that way. You are so deeply loved by God. The word that David uses is the word kased, and it shows up all throughout the Psalms. It doesn't translate accurately in English. It's more all-encompassing than love. The idea is this unfailing mercy and love. It's the same word that David uses in Psalm 23, 6 when he says, surely your goodness and your mercy, surely your cassette will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. And that goodness of God has been chasing after you your entire life. He knows every hair on your head. He sees every tear that you cry. He deeply loves and cares about you. He gave his life on a cross for you, stretched out his arms in love so that you could have relationship with him. And there's this personal nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes along and allows you to be brought into this triune community between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that has existed for all eternity of constant joy, constant delight, 
that before creation was made, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in joy with one another said, ah, we want a family. We want a family that can come into our embrace and experience our love, and we want them, our creation, our children, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want the family of God to delight in the presence of God. But there's an enemy of delight, and that enemy of delight is duty. So what happens in our soul because of pressure, what happens because of religion, what happens because of rules, is that we get into a place when it comes to our understanding of God where it's all about duty, it's all about the things that I must do, all the lists that I have to keep. And David, in this wilderness moment, recognizes the presence of God that brings delight to his soul. And he says in verse four, I will praise you as long as I live and I will lift up my hands in your presence. You ever have this happen? Like sometimes we, we talk about worship and you look like people who don't know Jesus don't know how to worship. And the truth is, if you watch a football game, people know how to worship with their hands lifted high. And when you watch a concert, people know how to engage their soul. There's something when you don't know what else to do. You throw your hands together. You lift your hands up. You, you shout. And David is saying that there is this sense in which my hands are lifted in praise and adoration. Verse 5 says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, my lips will praise you. And I want to speak Prophetically, for just a moment, the word pr prophetically means speaking something into existence before it comes to be. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up very soon, and my wife always makes, Stacy makes this wonderful chocolate tart, and she's going to do it again. And by faith, <laughs> by faith, I believe it. And, oh, it is so good, y'all. It is so good. We'll put the recipe online. I wish I could share it with you, and we could have enough for all of our campuses. It's so good. It's chocolate tart. There's this little crust underneath. There's these raspberries that go on top. And you take a bite, and it's so rich that you can't, you just have to go, mmm, like that. Could you do it with me? Mmm. It's like you can't, you just got to stop. It's so good. You just got to, mmm, take it in. And what David is saying, come back to verse 5 for just a moment. He's talking about, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food, better than a chocolate tart. You are better than a chocolate tart. My soul will be satisfied deep within. So you, you've had that in your life where you got that promotion and it was like, oh, this is awesome, but that mmm went away. That joy went away. But there's a sustaining joy with the presence of God the more you know him, the more you delight in him, the better it gets over the course of time. And I wonder how that delight is for you. For those of you who've been following Jesus for decades, I wonder when the last time you just walked outside, put some worship music on, or maybe just walked around with no music and heard the birds and saw the sunshine, and just thank God for how wonderful he is the power of his creation. Verse six, David says, on my bed, I remember you and I think of you through the watches of the night. And in that darkest moment of the night when your soul is worried and anxious, 
David is saying there's a replacing of that where I just meditate on your goodness and I think about your kindness and I remember your faithfulness. I replace that anxiety deep in my soul with a meditation of who you are, verse seven, because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. So I will sing and rejoice because of your goodness and your kindness. I just love the Bible. I love the word of God that just when you get it into your soul and it reminds you, some of you for the first time, it brings you to life to realize this wonderful goodness of God that the human soul, there's nothing on planet earth. There's no relationship that can satisfy you like God. Your primary purpose for existence is relationship with your creator. Yet sin stands between us and God. And God in his mercy stepped in, made a way, paid the price on a cross, rose again from the dead so that we can be forgiven and have relationship with God. Every one of us, no matter what our background is, no matter what religion you grew up with, no matter what ethnicity you have, God's desire is for you to know him. And in verse eight, David brings his whole thought to this beautiful conclusion and he says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And if you have your notes, just circle that word cling because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings, verse eight, and I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. In our family, we have family movie night and it's awesome. Every Friday night, no fights in our family. Everybody gets along perfectly. When we talk about what movie should we watch, the kids all say, I don't know, what do you want to watch? Let's, you, go, you go ahead and choose. It's just, I don't know why you guys have problems. Our family's perfect. So this last Friday, we had our family movie night. If you didn't catch, that's, uh, that's a lie. Yeah, sarcasm. That's, that's not true. So last Friday, we watched a movie called Togo. Anybody watch Togo? And so T- Togo, if you haven't watched it, great movie. It's, a, it's based on a true story, which means everything in the movie is 100% accurate. And so it's this guy, he has these sled dogs, and in the movie, they're trying to get this serum or this, this medicine for these kids that are dying, and the sled dogs, they're going to travel over land and sea in the middle of the winter to get this serum, and it's Togo is like the lead dog, who in the beginning of the movie is all over the place, and apparently he's one of the greatest dogs in, in all of dog history. And in the movie, there's this moment where Togo is running with all the sled dogs and, you know, the, the leader at the back. And as he's running, he's about to run off of a cliff. So they're going down. And again, it's an accurate scene, I'm sure. And they're going off and they're about to run off the cliff. And Togo realizes, so he stops. And the, the runner is just like, oh, oh, and everybody's stopping. And so they stop and they're like hanging off right there, like right over the cliff about to go over the cliff. And, and so he looks at Togo and he says, Togo, come! And so he's screaming for Togo and Togo turns around and as he turns around, all these dogs are like hustling up the hill and Togo saves the day. He's like, is there, he's the savior. And some of us, we're like about Togo over the cliff. And so often in our lives, when it comes to our realization of God, when you are hanging over a cliff and your life is not what you thought it would be, the natural human tendency, if you are a strong human being who has pulled yourself up by your bootstrap, the natural tendency is when you're there is to turn around and to try to pull your way back up 
the hill. But what David says in this passage is I realized in desperation that my only hope was for God to intervene on my behalf. And the third log is this. It's the log of desperation. And it's the log that recognizes I will cling to God for his help. The log of desperation that rekindles the fire. And many of you who are listening to my voice, the thing that stands between you and God is not your belief that Jesus came to planet Earth. It's not even your belief that he died and rose again. It's just that you don't want anybody else to be in charge of your life. Because if you solve the problem, you get the credit for it. But might I say from the bottom of my heart to you, that way of living, it might work for a period of time, but in the end, every single human being will come to a point where they cannot do it on their own power. And at that moment, our tendency, if it has been to dig our heels in over and over again, that tendency to dig our heels in could be the very thing that prevents us from experiencing the mercy, the kindness, the help that God wants to give to our lives. The enemy of desperation is self-sufficiency. And if you are a self-sufficient human being, the challenge is to open your hands to recognize you can't do it on your own. This is why so often brokenness, this is why addiction and the ministry of Celebrate Recovery is so significant. This is why when we get to that place where we can't do it on our own, so many of us at the end of our rope turn back to God. But I would say to you is you don't have to get to that place to turn to God. You can turn to God right now in this moment and experience his help, that desperation to turn to him and say, God, I cling to you. I need your help. The God of the universe is personal. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to experience the richness of who he is and what he's like. And he wants to help you. He wants to help you with your school. He wants to help you in your friendships. He wants to help you with your anxiety and your worry. He wants to give you the strength when you're tired or the wisdom that you need. He is enough for you. And today you can come to him and you can say, God, I need you. Draw me close to you. I want to know you. And perhaps you're here and you're listening to my voice and I'm doing my very best to woo you and to help you realize there is nothing in this world that is better than God. There is nothing in this world that is better than friendship with the creator of the universe who is almighty, sovereign God, who has made the stars in the sky, who became a human being and walked among us and lived a perfect sinless life, who was full of grace and truth and who personally knows you and loves you and deep in your soul, in this moment, in this room, in that room that you're watching from, there can be a connection between you and God that a fire burns in your soul for him that cries out with longing for the God of the universe. So my goal today is to light that fire in you, that renewal of hunger and thirst. Some of you, it's been a really long time. Some of you, you've been going through the motions, and today is your day to come back home. Some of you, is your day to come home for the first time. We can all think of somebody in our lives that life is just better when they're nearby. 
And that's, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. God came near. In Ephesians 2.11, the Apostle Paul said these powerful words. And I want to just read these over you. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles, which is every one of us who's not Jewish. It says, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And perhaps some of you today, you are without God and you are without hope. The message of Jesus is that God came near in human flesh and died on a cross, conquered the grave, paid the price for your sins so that you can know God. And today you can put your trust in him for the very first time for the forgiveness of your sins. In just a few moments, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make that decision. But I wanna highlight, I wanna call to your attention the fourth and final log, and it's the log of dependence. And with the log of dependence, what I'm saying with this log is I'm saying, I will do life with other people. I'm not going to do life alone. And what I've found in my journey spiritually, I remember the first time I was in a small group at 12, 13 years old. I had a student pastor. I'm so grateful for our next-gen leaders here at Saddleback Church who invest in, in our kids, my kids. And I had a student pastor when I was young who said, I'm going to pour into the life of this kid and a few other young men, and he took us along for about six years. We journeyed together. We are still friends to this day. Uh, five of the guys from my senior class are in vocational ministry, scattered across the country. We still talk to each other, and when we talk to each other, there, there's this like recalling of our journey spiritually that rekindles the fire. We have all kinds of inside jokes and things, you know, middle school humor and all that. That's great. But there's something about those relationships when you're in community, people who are doing life together, that they rekindle the fire for God deep inside of our soul. God said about you and me, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said about humanity, it is not good for man, for mankind to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So our purpose of worshiping God is reinforced through fellowship the purpose of community and doing life. And there's an enemy of dependence that's isolation. Isolation wars against community. And right now, in this moment, for us, as we launch next week into our One Life campaign, it's an incredible opportunity for us to get back into community together. There are so many of you, you're coming to Saddleback, maybe you're new here, we have a lot of new people in the last few months. And this is a great moment to step into community. And I want to just call your attention. You've seen these booklets here. This is the journey that we're going to go on starting next week. Um, this journey is a month-long journey. There's devotionals in here. And it's all around sharing Jesus in a more relatable way. But perhaps when you think about groups, there's like in your mind all these reasons why you can't be in a small group. And there are things that you might say to yourself like, what if I get stuck in a group with somebody who's really weird, who has bad breath, and when it's time to pray, I'm next to them, and I smell their breath, and they hold my hand, they don't let it go, never let me go, they never let you go. What if that happens to you? I cannot promise that that won't happen to you, but what I can promise you is that the group is only five weeks, so if you get stuck with Scary Larry and 
sorry if your name's Larry, but if you get stuck with him, uh, you can get out. And if your group leader or host keeps calling you saying, come back, just say, Pastor Andy told me I can get out, okay? <laughs> so you can get in a group. It's only five weeks. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't have any friends, and I'm worried that I'll get in that group. Well, if you're worried about getting in that group, you could start your own group. You could be a host. You might say to yourself, I don't have any friends. I know you have at least two friends. Um, uh, me, myself, and I, you know, just throw two more. But you can, you can find two people that you know at your gym, in your neighborhood, and host a group. And today, you can sign up to host a group. We're praying for 1,000 people. We've actually already had 250 people step up to host groups, so we're like one-fourth of the way there. And today, you can step up to host a group. Uh, when you host a group, we'll put all the materials in your hand. You could also just sign up for a group today on your connection card by just saying, I want to be a part of a group, and you'll get one of these. These are free. I'm so glad they're free. We don't have to pay any money for them. They're actually just going to be given to us and it's going to be amazing to see what God is going to do. But this call to be in community, this is a great time to get reconnected back into community, to host a group if, you, if you've never hosted one, or to sign up for a group. And we're going to launch all of that next week. Now, also this week, we're going to do a worship night, a prayer night here on Thursday night at the Lake Forest campus, just getting our hearts ready and preparing. It's a one-life worship night and rally just focusing our hearts and praying for that campaign together. That's Thursday night at 6.30 at our Lake Forest campus. Now, as we wrap up our time together today, our campus pastors and hosts are gonna come and lead us in next steps. But I wanna pause for just a moment and acknowledge there are some of you that today you wanna make that decision to follow Jesus for the first time with your life. And I'd like to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment and pray with me. If that's you and you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus with first place in your life, would you do that today by just saying to him, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave, and I wanna yield my whole heart to you right now in this moment. I wanna follow you with everything I am. Please forgive me for my past. In Jesus' name, amen.